0: Good morning, let me have my welcome. If i met before, my name is Paul, I'm the pastor here. Uh, please keep your Bibles open, Luke 18. I'm going to retell that story for you this morning. Uh, let's retell uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, a modern day version. So Ben and Jen go to church one Sunday morning at 945 Now Ben's well known in church, Ben helps out at Sunday Night Kids, he serves down at Greenway, he visits the James Mercer Retirement Village. Ben loves his Bible, he brings his own Bible to church, he takes notes during the sermon. Ben's got a, a book full of, a room full of Christian books, he loves reading Christian books. Ben knows all the songs at church, he sings them by memory. He's got the Church by the Bridge playlist on his Spotify. He listens to Hope 103.2. And everybody who knows Ben goes, Ben, you're such a good religious man. And he is. No, he never drinks, never takes drugs. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. He's not a bully at work. He's a good, decent Nice, kind, religious man. And Ben walks into 9.45 church one Sunday morning and he, he's smiling at everybody. He's got a, a coffee cup in his hand. He, he walks down to the third row. He sits in his seat and then he prays because, you know, it looks like right, the right thing to do to pray before the church starts. And, and as he sits in his chair and he thinks about himself, he thinks, wow. I'm a really nice guy. And then the minister says, we're going to say a confession together. I'll give you a moment just to think about the things you've done wrong this week. And Ben goes, no, I've got nothing. Nothing to confess. Nothing wrong. And he sits in church at 9.45 and thinks, oh, How good is it to be me? How good is it that I'm a nice person, I'm a good bloke? God, you're quite lucky to have me in the church, aren't you? That's Ben. Jen, on the other hand, she's feeling very, very uncomfortable. See, see Jen's not your regular church goer. And when she walks into church on that Sunday morning, Ben sees Jen coming to church, and Ben looks at her and says, What right has she got to be in my church? And Jen is thinking the same thing. She's thinking, I hope nobody sees me. And Jen is there thinking, You know, if people knew that I'd been divorced twice if people knew that I had an alcohol problem, if people knew just how vicious I am with my tongue sometimes, I, I don't belong here. And so Jan slipped into a chair right at the back of church, desperate not to be seen by anybody. She knew none of the songs in church. And they said, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. She had no clue who Luke was. But as they sang the songs in church, she looked at the words and and read words like God forgives you and God loves you. And then during the sermon they talked about, about a man called Jesus who had died to forgive you everything you'd ever done wrong. And Jen is there in church thinking, That that can't be me. I'm so bad, I'm so wicked. And Jen sat right at the back of church, right on the back chair, and she put her head in her hand, and she sobbed, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Now, here's my question for you tonight, this morning. Which one of those two people went home right with God? Religious? Self-righteous, proud Ben? Or humble, wretched, repentant Jen? See, that's the shock from Luke chapter 18, isn't it? You've read this parable so many times, you've lost the shock value. There are two men in church that day, and they're both saying their prayers. One is good and religious, the other is bad by his own confession. And both came to pray, both went home thinking they had prayed, but look at verse 14, what does it tell you? Only one of them went home justified. That word means right with God, forgiven by God. Only one is right with God. So I've just called this sermon religious, or right with God. Look at that first word, religious, the danger of being Religious. And in a word, it's pride, isn't it? The greatest danger of being religious is you become a very proud person. You think you're somebody. And you think that God owes you something. Let's meet the Pharisee. The Pharisees were the churchmen. The Pharisees were the people who took their Bible seriously. The the Pharisees had studied theology. They knew the Greek. They knew the Hebrew. They were the first century religious people. And I was thinking this week, the Pharisees would have been the ones today who would be most vocal on social issues. Standing up for the Bible. We're right. And they were very good people. Look at verse 11. This, this Pharisee, he says, I'm not greedy. I'm not unrighteous. and I'm not an adulterer. He wasn't a greedy man, you could trust him with your money. He wasn't unrighteous, he was good and honest. He wasn't an adulterer, he was faithful to his wife. His name would not be on the Ashley Madison name list this week, would it? He's Mr. Clean Cut, Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Church Guy. And look at verse 12, he takes his religion very, very seriously. I fast twice a week. He's not on a 5-2 diet. He's taking his faith seriously. Even though the Bible says, you know, fast if you want to. He said, if I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I get. I give so much back to God. And this Pharisee is a man that you and I can learn much from, you know. He doesn't abuse people. That's a good thing. He's faithful to his wife. That's a good thing. He's well-respected. He's kind. He's nice. He's religious. He's religious. Surely God is pleased with this guy. But look again at verse 14. See the shock? The tax collector went home justified rather than the Pharisee. So what's the problem with this Pharisee? Look more closely at verse 11. See if you can spot it. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this. God... I thank you that I'm not like other people. <laughs> Greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Do, do you get it? Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm kind. I'm nice. God, I'm so marvelous compared to that person sitting on the other side of church. God, I love me. So you must love me too. And Jesus says he is self-exalting, verse 14, the one who exalts himself. That's what he's doing, isn't it? Telling God how good he is. And you spot in verse 11 how he only lists all the wrong things that he hadn't done. Like being greedy or being unrighteous or committing adultery. What about all the wrong things that he had done? What about all the good things that he'd failed to do? He's the kind of person who sits in church and they feel obliged to remind God of their track record, how good they are, how religious they are, how many church activities they're involved in. And that's his big mistake. I think it's a mistake made by millions of people who sit in church week in, week out. Yeah, but by the world standards, this Pharisee was a very good man. But we're not judged by the world standards, are we? We're judged by God's standards. And by the world standards compared to other people, he is a wonderfully kind, generous man. But we're not compared to other people, are we? See, if the Pharisee had stopped and thought about his life, his week, his month, he'd have realized that he wasn't perfect. It's like if tomorrow morning you go to the doctors and you say to the doctors, "Um, just come this morning to tell you how healthy I am. I mean, look at me, I'm perfect. And my heart's strong and these these biceps, (laughs) they are bulging biceps. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not like those miserable specimens sitting in your waiting room. And the doctor says to you, well, just tell me, why have you come this morning? If you'd let the doctor examine you, he'd have found the high blood pressure and he'd have found the the lump somewhere. But because you're so proud that you think that you're perfect, because you're so self-confident and you're so complacent, you think you don't need him. Can't we slip into that when we come to church? Isn't it easy to slip into that? Church becomes a social club. You come here to be entertained. Rather than coming here to sit humbly before your God, to marvel at how big and glorious and perfect and holy he is, and to marvel about how much he loves you and how much he's forgiven you. See, pride is a horrible, arrogant thing, isn't it? T.S. Eliot said, most of the trouble in the world is caused by people wanting to be important. G.K. Chesterton said, if I had one sermon to preach, and only one sermon, I would preach against pride. And C.S. Lewis says this, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free. Which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in somebody else. And of which hardly any people, except Christians, ever imagine they are guilty of. And that is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that, they're mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. Pride is a complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and looking down on other people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you far greater than you. That is God himself. God, how lucky you are to have me in church. I sing, I pray, I read the Bible, I have a kids' church, I do community stuff. Aren't I good, God? Let me ask you, is that you? Is there a hint of pride in you? You think you're somebody, you think that you're good. You compare yourself to other people in church, and you, you, you suddenly think, oh, I'm so thankful I'm not like them. You take pride in the endless number of church activities that you do. I was talking to a a counsellor this week and uh, she was telling me that on people's first visit to see her, they spend the majority of the time pointing the finger to everybody else and accusing everybody else of having all the problems in life. See, Jesus introduced this parable in verse nine by saying this is for people who trust in themselves that they were righteous. They trust that they're good enough for God. They treat other people with contempt and they think they're superior. Let me ask you a really simple question. Why'd you bother to come to church week in, week out? Why'd you come here? be entertained or because you enjoy it or it's a social club or did you come sort of just longing to get a glimpse of God and His glory and His majesty and His goodness and His sovereignty and His love and His forgiveness? Do do you come eyes lifted upwards towards God? Because when you do, you can't sit in the chairs and think, I've got nothing to confess and how good am I? And I, I say that because I think becoming religious or becoming proud is it's so easy, isn't it, as Christians? We know what to do, we know how to do it, and it makes us feel good. And then subtly over time we start to think that our good deeds in some way have contributed towards our salvation. The danger of being religious Let's focus on the second three words, right with God. That's, that's the tax collector. And please remember, in Jesus' day, the tax collector were the social outcasts. They were dishonest, they were hated. So, so no one would be surprised when the Pharisee reacted as he did because tax collectors didn't belong in churches. It would be a bit like you know, a, a known paedophile walks through that door this morning. And we sit here and say, what right have you got to be in church? But look again at verse 14. I I tell you, the tax collector went home justified, right with God, forgiven by God, cleansed by God, restored by God. Why is that? Why was the tax collector accepted and the Pharisee rejected? And the answer is his heart, his attitude. Because he was humble. He was desperate. He just cast himself on a merciful God. See the attitude in verse 13, the tax collector standing far off. He stood at a distance. He's right at the back of church. He, it's not that he's unused to church. He, he has his sense that he doesn't belong there because God is so perfect and God is so pure. So, why can he come before God? In verse 13, again, he, he wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. Head down, daren't look up, and he's beating his chest, striking his chest, verse 13. That's a, a, a sign of grief and distress and pain and sorrow and repentance. He, here's a man, his posture, his position, it's, it's unease, his unworthiness, it's remorse, it's humility. And then he prays. He's not much of a prayer, is he? He wouldn't pass the church by the bridge prayer survey. No fancy jargon, no liturgy, no self-praise, no comparison with other people. It's not out to impress people. It's a simple prayer, isn't it, in verse 13. Look at it with me. Eight simple words. God, turn your wrath from me, a sinner. God, I don't belong here. God, you're perfect and I'm not. At this moment in time, I feel like the most wretched person on earth. God, I deserve your anger. God, I deserve nothing from you. But please turn your wrath away from me. Please forgive me. Would you have mercy on me, God? Because I'm the sinner here. It's a simple prayer, but it's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer that anybody can pray. That everybody should pray. Pray. God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, how I need you. Every day I need you. God, I'm not perfect. Oh God, can I, can I imagine it? If people knew what I was thinking about them, if people saw what I did in private, oh Lord, if I imagine all the people I know and love sitting in a room watching a, a video of my life, oh gosh, that would be awful, God. God but you see it all God and you know it all God. And so I don't want justice God, I want mercy. I need your forgiveness God. Now look again at verse 14. I tell you that he went home right with God. He went home forgiven. Isn't that the the offense of Grace. (laughs) Because Christianity is not about what we do, but what Jesus Christ has done. Christianity said, God doesn't care how many times you've been to church or how many times you've read your Bible. He cares that you trust in Jesus and you're humbly dependent on him. You can never earn your forgiveness. You can't be good enough. You You need God's mercy. So again, I'm going to ask you, when you come to church week in, week out, do you sit there and say, God, Lord, I need you. (laughs) Every hour, I need you." you. When you come again to the cross, if you've never understood the cross, the cross is actually very simple. The cross says this, that 2,000 years ago, God stepped into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was the perfect man. He was the man who didn't need to ask for forgiveness. But that same man went to an old wooden cross at Calvary and had nails through his wrists and nails through his ankles. And that same man prayed the prayer, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And that same man prayed the prayer, it is finished. And on that cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ died for you and took your sins and took your punishment his blood was shed so that you could be forgiven. His blood was shed so that you could be cleansed. His blood was shed so that, you, that, you, that God's mercy might fall on you. And when you look at the cross, if you look at the cross every single day of your life, you're supposed to say, wow, God, I can't do anything except come back to the cross of Christ and ask for forgiveness. Knowing that you love me, knowing that you will forgive me. A guy called Don Carson said that the, the best way to remain humble as a Christian is stay close to the cross of Christ. If there's a hint of pride in you this morning, come back to the cross. Get rid of the pride. You've done nothing to deserve it God's forgiveness, have you? I don't know how long you've been a Christian, if you are a Christian here this morning doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five years or fifty years you still need to keep coming back to the cross of Christ asking for forgiveness but maybe you're not a Christian here this morning maybe you're like Jen, you're in church thinking what am I doing here why am I here I don't belong here can I say you do belong here You're exactly where God wants you to be. Because you were made by God and He loves you. You belong to Him. He died for you. If that's you this morning, you're thinking, what am I doing here? I'm so glad you're here because God just wants you to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you can leave here this morning a totally changed person, forgiven by God, restored by God and cleansed by God. Let's think back to Ben and Jen. I'll ask you again, which of those two people went home right with God? Religious, self-righteous, proud Ben who's in church every single week? Or wretched, humble, but repentant Jen? And I'm here to beg you that week by week, day by day, we be those repentant, humble, clinging to the cross of Christ type of people. Let me pray. Dear God, we know that we're not worthy to be accepted by you. We know that we are guilty of ignoring you and rebelling against you. We know we need your forgiveness, God. Forgive us of pride where we think that we are good and we think that we're better than people. Forgive us for times we think our religious works count towards our salvation. Lord, do whatever it takes to keep us humble. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death that we might be forgiven. Thank you, God, that you do turn your wrath from us and pour it onto your Son. So please forgive us and please keep us humble. In Jesus' name.